Let's roll it on out for another week. It's Monday on the Rural Radio Network, and the midday program takes to the air today. Lots of information over the course of a couple of hours here on your rural radio stations, and we are pleased and proud to welcome live to our Lexington microphones once again, the Duskinator! <laughs> as he's known, Bryce Duskin. How are things in Lincoln? A new nickname here in the studio. The Lincoln's going well. We're getting lots of rain, lots of ag information yeah. coming this hour, and lots of rain all yeah. across the state. I'll tell you what, you, you uh, were able to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you were there for the 150th, right? That's correct, yeah. This, uh, that was a spectacle, right? It was. It, a laser light show on the Capitol, of course. We've got a video of that 16 minutes long uh it's it's worth the watch though all right very good all right bryce Duskett in studio what's the ag headlines you bet at 12 13 coming up we've got agriculture news information kansas congressman roger marshall he's returning from a trip to china where he focused on trade and national security we'll hear his comments uh, about opportunities in trade uh also the rural main street index fell to its lowest number of the year last month as farmland prices declined and agriculture equipment sales were dismal the 12 19 dave schroeder he's at the Mar- Sandoz Foundation at the conference there has a report for us. The newsmaker, the 1245, is featuring Nebraska Extension Farm Succession educator Alan Vanalek. He discusses the recent launching of Farm Succession Survey. And the 1217 will have a report from Susan Littlefield. She's at the Nebraska's Natural Resource District, District 2017 Annual Conference happening in Kearney. All right. Thanks, Bryce. Appreciate it. We'll listen for all of that. Jason Jorgensen on sports. It was announced this morning that Nebraska's football game, home football game with Wisconsin, will be a 7 o'clock kickoff that had been up in the air before today, and that game will be televised along the Big Ten Network. Mm -hmm. So big game for the Huskers. They get a night game as they'll try to knock off the Badgers. I just want to warn everybody that Badgers are nocturnal. So they're Good waking point. up just about 7 p.m. And thought with the way they played against Nebraska in recent years, it yeah. hasn't really mattered <laughs> when that game has taken place. It's gone Wisconsin's way. Yeah. Uh, Huskers have a short week this week as they'll play a Friday night game. I'll leave it at that yeah. at Illinois. Hopefully this is the last we uh, see of this circus. Yeah, uh, what's College that? football should be played on Saturdays. Still don't understand that. We'll touch uh, all of that. Also, it was quite the win for the Lady Huskers on Friday. Uh, they went into Penn State. The Nittany Lions had been undefeated. They were ranked second in the country. And all the young Huskers did was sweep them. In fact, they had quite the weekend. We'll get the thoughts of head coach John Cook about that. I believe it was the first time Penn State had been swept at home since 2003. Well, they clicked it up a couple of notches. Yeah, they did. Uh, that loss to Northern Iowa got the Huskers' attention. And we'll talk some baseball. Arizona Diamondbacks. They have punched their ticket. They have at least one of the wild card spots in the National League. We'll see if the Rockies can get the second, or maybe the Brewers can sneak in there. All right. Are we going to leave the NFL thing alone? I'll take a knee. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you dare. (laughs) Bob Brogan on business. How can I follow that? (laughs) You can't. (laughs) Tech companies are leading stocks lower in midday trading on Wall Street, outweighing gains for energy producers. Facebook lost 3.8% today. Target is raising the minimum wage that they pay. And uh, Uber apologizes to London. Still awaited an apology to the whole world, but uh, we'll have to wait for that. All right. Very good. Well, we've got tons of information coming up for you next couple of hours here. It is midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
one of the things that's very interesting about being on a 50,000-watt radio <laughs> station is the footprint that it covers over several states, and uh, Paul Perkins has to keep his eye on just about every corner of it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, and we're seeing those extremes for today. Temperatures right now in the Panhandle in the mid-40s. That compares with some low 80s right now as you head into eastern Kansas, and we do have some upper 70s still into the far southeast corner of Nebraska, so a big swing from west to east on those temperatures and it's all thanks to this big upper level low moving through the region kicking up a lot of rain over eastern nebraska especially if you're along and east of a line from about albion down to grand island and hastings down to around oh we'll say uh Mankato in Kansas down to about Russell, Kansas. But we are expecting more rain and thunderstorms to remain likely today as that upper level low tracks towards the east. Rain coverage expected to increase once again as we head towards this afternoon hour. All right. Well, we'll uh, be interested to find out what it's going to do over the course of the next several days. And this is brought to you, of course, by Coolman Repair. Now, due to the southeast track of this low, the heavier bands today of rain going to be in the southeast areas, especially if you're southeast of a line from Geneva in Nebraska to Osborne in Kansas. Tonight into tomorrow morning, that rain will end from northwest to southeast. Most areas will be dry by dawn. High pressure pushes in from the north for tomorrow out of the north and northwest. That'll clear the skies out. Some rain chances in clouds, though, still will linger over the southeast part of Nebraska and the southeast half of Kansas. That forecast stays dry through Friday. The area in a northwesterly flow for the rest of the week with high pressure to our west and low pressure to our east. That will keep the temperatures on the seasonably cool side. No signs, though, of any freezing temperatures through that first week of October. A trough of low pressure in the Gulf of Alaska. Further beyond that, the first couple of weeks October looks to set up a mild and dry stretch on into the middle of the month to help out with the harvest. That is reflected in our long-term forecast with the high likelihood Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal this weekend through the first eight days of October. Those higher chances of the warmer temperatures going to be in the later periods. Early October daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the low 70s with overnight lows on average in the low 40s. Below normal rainfall in the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through October 8th, even though there is a slight chance of some thunderstorms as we move through the weekend here in central Nebraska. Weather factors shaping the market trade today include dry conditions over most of the central U.S. for harvest and an improved chance for rain in central Brazil. Cool, cloudy, rainy weather will continue for much of the week in the southern sections of the Rockies and Plains. Somewhat cooler air will gradually overspread the south east and midwest part of the nation although mostly dry weather will persist generally dry weather will accompany a gradual warming trend across the northern high plains and much of the west favorable harvest conditions in the midwest will persist for at least the next seven to ten days with the dry pattern the rain early this week in the northern plains will disrupt their harvest but start to ease those extreme drought conditions damaging cold is expected to stay away from both the Midwest and the Northern Plains this next week. Any rain that falls this week in the Southern Plains looks to be beneficial and actually timely for some winter wheat planting and development. Dry and favorable conditions in the Delta benefiting their maturing and harvesting crops this week. Rain is needed in central Brazil to begin their soybean planting that may be on the way later in the week with some scattered showers. 
Production losses, though, likely in eastern Australia. That's where they are in the grip of a dry pattern in those eastern Australia wheat areas, and little rain is forecast this next week. I'll tell you what, that southern and western Kansas area has just got to be finally breathing a sigh of relief after all the bad luck. Yes, yeah, some heavy rains since uh, portions of western Kansas. I know we had a report of four and three-quarters of an inch of rain in the last 24 hours at Ellis, Kansas, and they had more before that. And we have some people in southwest Nebraska near Trenton report six inches of rain storm total in the last few days. Well, I hope it does you well, folks. And a reminder, this is brought to you by Kuhlman Repair, and you can catch more, of course, at krvn.com anytime. I just took your closing line away from you, didn't you? So. But it's going to be rainy the rest of the day, but we are looking at some dry conditions here this next week. You can close it out however you want. All right. Okay. Sure, steal my thunder, dude. <laughs> well, let's do it the right way. We're supposed to do this this way. So... Uh, <clears throat> And when you need weather anytime, it's at krvn.com. Get a commodity update here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. Still a little bit lower in the corn. December down a half at 353. March down a quarter at 365 and three quarters. May down one at 373 and a half. July corn is down three quarters at 380 and three quarters. Lower in soybeans, a little more rain in the forecast for Brazil where it's been so dry. And also the North Korea rhetoric maybe pushing our beans lower as well. November down 11 at 973 and a quarter. January down 11 at 983 and a half. March down 10 and three quarters at 992 and three quarters. May beans down 10 and a half at 1001 even. Chicago wheat December up four and a half at 454 and a quarter. March up four at 473 and a half. Kansas City December up four at 454 and a quarter. March up four at 472. May up three and three quarters at 484 and a quarter. And the July KC up three and three quarters at 501 and a quarter. Minneapolis December up 12. It's at 646 and three quarters. Over in cattle, still lower from the cattle on feed report with October down 247 in live cattle. It's at 109.10. December down the limit, 114.42. February down 287 at 117.17. April down 295 at 119 even. Over to the feeders with October. November, January, and March all limit lower. October feeders at 151.60, November at 153.12, January at 149.35, March at 145.80. Hogs, October up 95 at 56.65, December's up 80 at 57.42, February hogs up 57 at 62.47, April though it's down 15 at 68.42. Higher in the hogs due to the higher cutout here at noon. Right now, the Dow's down 73, NASDAQ is down 62, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. At Dakota Mac, we take pride in working with our clients to help your operation be the best it can be. We tailor our products and services to help manage your risk and improve financial success. This is Boyd Minery, your Dakota Mac Loan Production Officer in Hastings, Nebraska. Our 15, 20, and 30-year loans are some of the few long-term ag real estate loans in the business. Now is a great time to consider locking in your rate. Dakota Mac, your long-term ag real estate specialist. Give Dakota Mac a call at 1-800-682-4578 or go to dakotamac.com to learn more. Equal housing lender. If you love Nebraska history, join us at the Student Union Shadman State Campus Thursday, September 28th, 7.30 p.m. for Walter Echohawk, Native American attorney, and his presentation, Nebraska Before It Was Nebraska. 
Then, Friday, at the Sandoz Center on campus, this year's Sandoz Conference theme is Nebraska 150 and the Future, an exciting journey through the history of our great state. With a look at agriculture news and information on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Kangas, King, Kansas, rather, Congressman Roger Marshall is returning from a trip to China where he largely focused on trade and national security. On the phone call discussing the trip, the congressman outlined why the experience was valuable. I see great opportunities for the United States uh, from the agriculture industry. I think that there's a huge opportunity for beef. I never saw a herd of cattle bigger than three or four in my entire week there. Marshall says that the China that China is a great trade partner. My my biggest take home message is, is that certainly we have a strong partner in China. Uh, they're not our enemy. I would say they're a competitor, but they're also a partner. And I see great opportunities uh, ahead of us. And certainly they want to stand beside us, whether it's in tr- national trade issues or national security issues. Discussing the recent announcement from China to reopen beef markets to American producers after 13 years, Marshall says there's a great opportunity. I see great opportunities for the United States uh, from the agriculture industry. I think that there's a huge opportunity for beef. I never saw a herd of cattle bigger than three or four in my entire week there. For more on the congressman's trip, you can visit RuralRadio.com. Well, the Rural Main Street Index is lower. The Rural Main Street Index fell to its lowest level of the year last month as farmland prices declined and agriculture equipment sales were dismal. The index, compiled by Nebraska's Creighton University Survey Bank CEO, surveys bank CEOs in 10 Midwestern states. Overall, the index, which ranges between 100 and 0, slumped to 39.6, its lowest level since December of 2016. More than half of the respondents reported that they are restructuring farm loans, while approximately 18% indicated their bank had increased collateral requirements. The confidence index, which reflects expectations for the economy six months out, increased to a week 36.1 from 35.6 in August, indicating a continued pessimistic outlook among bankers. Organizer Ernie Gross says, quote, concerns about trade, drought conditions in portions of the region and low agriculture commodity prices impaired bankers' economic outlook for the month. While a local retailer kicks off Husker Fuel, the University of Nebraska Lincoln and Renewable Fuels Nebraska are getting behind ethanol and have signed on with retailers to launch Husker Fuel, an E15 blend, at the pump this fall. In the Panhandle, Western Travel Terminal has joined in as a retailer for the fuel, which has its official launch at the Nebraska Rutgers game on Saturday, September 23rd. Quote, we have had to go through IMG, the college's marketing network, which is promoting the fuel with logos and signage, signage, rather, said Roger Garwood. He is the CEO of WTT. Everything had to be approved, he said. E15 is is approved by the Environmental Protection Agency for use of all passenger vehicles, model 2001 and newer ethanol blends, higher than than 15% are approved for the use in flex fuel vehicles. The National Farmers Union reinforces the need for trade agenda reform through NAFTA. Ahead of the third round of renegotiation talks at the North American Free Trade Agreement, National Farmers Union reinforced its call for fair trade agreement framework that benefits American family farmers, ranchers, and consumers, and also restores American sovereignty on farms and food policy. In a, le- in a letter to U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthouser, the National Farmers Union endorsed a series of trade reform uh, recommendations proposed proposed by the Coalition for 
American, which uh, the National Farmers Union is a member. That's a look at agriculture news and information here on the Rural Radio Network. For more, you can always go to ruralradio.com. Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network, and I had the privilege of visiting with Elizabeth Chase. Elizabeth serves as Executive Secretary of the Mari Sandoz Heritage Society. Uh, Elizabeth, tell me a little bit more about the Mari Sandoz Heritage Society, and who was Mari Sandoz? Mari Sandoz was a Nebraska author, uh, grew up in the Sand Hills, and basically the Mari Sandoz Heritage Society preserves her legacy as well as, uh, you know, we share her work with new audiences and educate folks about uh, the things that she wrote about, uh, life in the sand hills, basically, the environment, Native Americans, um, really the people and places that uh, were part of her part of Nebraska. Well, as part of that outreach, you're hosting an annual conference, and that's coming up September... 28th through the 30th. All right. Well, tell me a little bit more about that conference. This conference has been going on for several years. It happens up at Shadron State College up in uh, Shadron and uh, involves a lot of people that come from all over the country to uh, talk about her work, uh, listen to scholars uh, talk about their research and writings and some new findings uh, of Mari Sandoz and, and the environment in the area. Uh, this year we're celebrating Nebraska's 150. Um, and we're having a Native American speaker, uh, Walter Echohawk from Oklahoma, is going to be in Shadron as our endowed uh, Pilster Great Plains lecturer this year. He's an attorney, uh, a writer, uh, an activist, a scholar, a very interesting gentleman. Well, tell me about some of the other speakers that are coming in. We've got Twyla Hansen, who is the uh, Nebraska state poet. She will be uh, our first speaker on uh, Friday morning. And then we also have Steve Rolfsmeyer. He's the director of the herbarium at Shadron State College. There's a great herbarium as well as an arboretum and some other things right outside the Sandoz Center at uh, Shadron State College as well as on the campus. And so he's going to talk a little bit about the plants of Nebraska from way back when to today. And then also we have We in Dallas Scholarship program, and we have a scholar that's going to be presenting this year, uh, the Sandoz Research Award recipient. His name's Robert Roy Forsman, and he's from North Dakota State University, and he's going to be talking about uh, 20th century technological innovations of the Great Plains, and it's based on a book or short writing that Mari Sandoz had written a while back. We should mention that this conference will be taking place at Shadron State College and in Shadron. Tell me about uh, how people can get registered. People can get registered through our website, www.marisandos.org, M-A-R-I-S-A-N-D-O-Z.org, and they can just look for the tab for the conference, and there should be a registration page, and they can just do it online. Elizabeth, what else do you want people to know about the upcoming uh, conference for the Mari Sandos Heritage Society? There's two different things that we're doing this year. Uh, we're going to be burying a time capsule on campus. Uh, the time capsule can, uh, is based on uh, Mari Sandoz did some predictions a long time ago, did 50-year uh, predictions back in 1956. And uh, we're going to kind of do the same thing and have people uh, provide some predictions for 2067 and have that in uh, buried in the time capsule. And then we added a Saturday morning session with Alan Wilkinson. Uh, he's a British author, and uh, he's going to be doing a session on Saturday morning downtown at the Bean Broker. 
Well, Elizabeth Chase, she's Executive Secretary for the Mari Sandoz Heritage Society. I'm Dave Schroeder for the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check some sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Big Ten announced today that Nebraska's home football game with Wisconsin on October 7th will be a 7 o'clock kickoff, and that will be shown on the Big Ten Network. And the Big 12 and Fox Sports announced today that K-State's game on October 7th at Texas will kick off at 6, and that will be televised by FS1. The top five remain the same in the latest AP College football poll. Top-ranked Alabama claimed 52 of the 61 first-place votes, while second-ranked Clemson took eight. Oklahoma is third, followed by Penn State and USC. Washington, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Wisconsin round out the top ten. Oklahoma State fell nine spots to 15th, and Florida State dropped all the way out of the rankings for the first time in 106 polls since 2011 after starting 0-2. The Husker volleyball team had quite the road trip this weekend, sweeping second-ranked Penn State on Friday night, and then they swept Rutgers on Saturday. Head coach John Cook says you just have to keep plowing through the season. You know, in the Big Ten, you, you get to enjoy it for about 30 minutes, and you're off to Rutgers, so <laughs> didn't think much about it. It's just, uh, you know, you just take it one match at a time, and, you know, the Big Ten is, is really tough this year, and I think any win you can get is a great win. I don't care who it's against, where it is, but any win in the Big Ten is a great win. This upcoming weekend is a huge one for the Huskers as they will host Minnesota on Friday night and Wisconsin on Saturday. Each of those teams have been ranked in the top ten for most of this year. Well, the Denver Broncos really struggled yesterday on the road, losing to Buffalo 26-16. to Very little went right on offense or special teams as they dropped their record to 2-1 and of the year. Quarterback Trevor Simeon threw two costly interceptions, and head coach Vance Joseph says the Broncos didn't deserve to win that one. We talked about, you know, to win a road game, you've got to be great in the red zone, you know, great with the uh, turnovers, you know, and great on third down. And those things we didn't do. You know, last drive they converted, I think, three or four straight third downs. We had two turnovers on, on offense. Um, you know, so we didn't, we didn't play... Uh, the critical parts of the game well today. So we didn't win a football game, final line. The NFL game tonight has the Cowboys facing off against the Cardinals. And the Arizona Diamondbacks clinched their first postseason berth in six years by completing a 3-2 victory over Miami. For Arizona, they wrapped up a wild card spot following yesterday's losses by the Brewers and the Cardinals. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. The Nebraska State Treasurer's Office is hosting a 10-day eBay auction for unclaimed items from abandoned safe deposit boxes across the state. It begins today and runs through October 5th. Nebraska State Treasurer Don Stenberg says his office has made numerous efforts over the years to return the items to their original owners. The items range in appraised value from $1 to $1,800, and Stenberg gives us some examples of the more than 1,000 items offered on the auction. Sports cards featuring Shaquille O'Neal as a rookie and Roberto Clemente, a beautiful metal box with toll painting dating from before 1880, a lady's 14-carat gold ring with 11 diamonds, and a 1930s bar pin with nine diamonds, believed to be white gold. Bidders may access the auction site from the homepage of the Nebraska State Treasurer's website. The last auction conducted by the Treasurer's Office was back in 2012. It resulted in almost $15,000 in sales. 
Authorities say a pilot has died in the crash of a light plane in northern Nebraska. The plane took off Saturday morning from the Ainsworth Regional Airport in Brown County, headed to North Dakota. Local authorities say the wreckage was found on Saturday evening just a few miles from the airport. The name of the pilot who was alone in the aircraft has not yet been released. The Winnebago tribe is hoping to reclaim land in Iowa that was once part of its reservation in northeast Nebraska, but local hunters are concerned they might lose hunting access. The 1,643 acres of land is owned by the federal government and attracts hundreds of hunters each year. During Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts' recent trade mission to Japan, an agreement was signed between the University of Nebraska at Kearney and Toyo University for a student and faculty exchange program. UNK Chancellor Doug Christensen says they've had a number of individual agreements with universities in Japan for a number of years. They're a very broad-based, well-respected university, and what we're going to do with this agreement is they're agreeing to send students to us. We'll agree to send some students to them. We're going to do it where we uh, basically absorb our own costs, so a student here that wants to go there will pay our rates, and their students will pay their rates, and then we're going to worry about how we we get them back and forth. Uh, There are some uh, funds available to help them with travel. For each of the past three decades, UNK has had the largest enrollment of Japanese students in Nebraska. And organizers of an arts and crafts show to be held this fall at the Eugene T. Mahoney State Park in Ashland are seeking vendors to display and sell handmade arts and crafts items. The River Valley Artisans and Craft Market is set for November 11th and 12th at the Peter Kiewit Lodge at the Mahoney State Park. Trusted charities are accepting donations for hurricane disaster relief. You can do your part by using the links found on our website, krvn.com. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett's. Nebraska Extension is seeking help from ranchers and farmers across the state to participate in a farm succession survey. I am Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and Alan Vanalik, Nebraska Extension Educator in Farm Succession, is here to visit with us today about that. Alan, you are newly appointed to this role, so there's a lot going on with it. So tell us more about where you're headed with this survey. So when I, I, I just started this role about two months ago, two and a half months ago maybe, and uh, I was brought to campus. I was in a county office for about 30 years. I got brought into campus to work on farm succession and farm transition. And um, I, the only data I had to work with was from Iowa State, and their recent surveys showed that uh, 70% of the farmers didn't um, necessarily plan to retire. And that's fine. I can run with that, and I'll talk about that. But more importantly, I want to be able to tell people about what Nebraska farmers' plans are. So in other words, I would like to know what ranchers and farmers in Nebraska think in terms of their retirement plans and succession plans, uh, those types of things. And I want to be able to talk about that that data when I give my talks. And uh, so that's why we're doing this, trying to do the survey. Now, Alan, to your knowledge, is this the first survey of its kind here in Nebraska? Like, what What are you hoping to get out of it? What are you looking for with this survey? All right, so um, as far as I know, this is the only survey of its kind that we're having in Nebraska so far uh, and for ag, for ag producers especially. And so what's happening is um, we want to ask farmers what they, what they hope, what, if they plan to retire, how they plan to retire, how they fund their retirement. Uh, so questions like that, it's gonna, the survey is going to take five to seven minutes to fill out. It won't be... It won't be that hard of a deal. Um, well, what I'm trying to do is, is take that information 
that I get from the survey data, and not only use it in my talks, but to help design educational programs that really make sense for Nebraskans. We want to know what Nebraskans are up to so we can design our efforts in succession and transition to fit what Nebraska needs are. So if I know what the, what the, if I go to what the survey says, then I'll know what the needs are, and I can design educational programs to help uh, with those needs. Uh, well, what I'm finding is that um, grandpa and grandma or mom and dad, the people that have control of that farm asset or the ranch asset, are making two key assumptions uh, um, in, at some degree or some level, and sometimes those assumptions, are, uh, those assumptions aren't the right ones. The two key assumptions that I'm finding is one assumption is um, the kids all get along or the grandkids all get along. Uh, they'll do what's best for the farm. And then, in other words, they, they will, they will, they'll be able to figure it out. They won't have any fights. And that may be a wrong assumption, meaning that uh, with, the, with the leadership void of grandpa and grandma being gone or mom and dad being gone means that the kids may or may not get along. In some cases, they will, obviously, but there's many cases that I hear of where they don't get along. And then the second key assumption that that our parents and our grandparents made with the people that have the assets is that, that, that the farm will always, or the farm or ranch will always stay in the family. And if that's what they want, then they better specify that because when that asset gets transferred to the next generation, that asset I'm finding may or may not uh, be, be staying in the family. And so uh, uh, brothers and sisters that don't get along or want to sell the farm um, aren't car creating the problems here. Uh, mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, uh, by not having a plan, by leaving the, by not doing a plan, by not being specific about what their plans are, are the ones that are creating the, the problem with, um, with just not um, uh, specifying with their wishes uh, prior to their demise. Now, two important questions I'm sure a lot of producers will want to know before taking this survey. First of all, is it anonymous? And then also, is it very time-consuming? From the sounds of it, it's something that is pretty quick. They can do. It's not going to take them half of their work day. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm anticipating to answer that last part first. I'm anticipating we're only talking five, six, seven minutes to do the survey. It's not going to take forever. And, yes, um, it's going to be it's going to be anonymous. I mean, we do provide a place in there where somebody, if they want to have more information or want to be included on um, mailings or information about, about uh, transition and succession, they can leave us an email address. But that's an optional uh, activity. You don't have to leave us an email address or a phone number. You can leave us a phone number or email address if you'd like to know more. But if you don't care to, that's fine too. No big deal. So, uh, yes, take care of that concern. Um, know that it is uh, anonymous and you don't have to leave us any information if you don't want to. And it will take less than 10 minutes to complete. Now, probably not as short as five, but less than 10. And finally, details on where they can go. How do they participate in this survey if it's something they're interested in? Right. So <laughs> there's two ways you can get the survey. One, one is to do it online, and that's probably the preferred method, and that's go.go.unl.edu slash succession. Go.unl.edu slash succession. That's the website. Or you can call my office at 402 472 1771 and request a paper copy if you don't wish to do that uh, online. If you, if you don't have an ability to do that online, call the office, my office, 472-1771, and I'll be glad to mail you, Sandy will be glad to mail you a paper copy from my office. Again, the website is uh, go.unl.edu slash succession.
And one more quick question I forgot to ask you, Alan. Uh, do you have a deadline with this survey? How long are producers able to get on and participate if they're interested? Uh, sometime later in the fall, probably around December, Thanksgiving. Let's say Thanksgiving. All right, thanks so much. Alan Vanalik, Nebraska Extension Educator Farm Succession, talking about one of the first ever farm succession surveys taking place in the state of Nebraska. He's asking for ranchers and farmers to participate and help out, share some of that information. Again, this is completely anonymous. And for more information on how to go about filling out the survey, links to it, assistance, all that, you can find at RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening today to the Rural Radio Network. Back for our closing livestock report. So taking a look at futures today and the activity. Joe Teal has a wrap-up for us. Joe, of course, we know the pressure coming in the cattle today, but explain once again why we saw the uh, nearby rise there in the hogs. First of all, we were uh, pretty oversold. <clears throat> then you throw in the uh, cutouts being a little bit better, or well, sharply better, at noon, and uh, that uh, certainly uh, brought a response out of the futures. I mean, they're discount. They're discount still to the index, even though the index has uh, been falling. But uh, we certainly narrowed that gap uh, now. And, uh, you know, the other thing is we are going to bottom sometime. I mean, we're not going to see uh, uh, much more weakness uh, develop uh, without uh, some change in the market. So uh, it ends up being a positive day because you got the... Uh, the front end uh, rallying, the back end uh, a little bit lower, which means bull spreading, which uh, you normally don't get in a bear market. So uh, some positive signs coming out of the hogs today. I uh, can't say you saw too many positive signs coming out of the cattle today, and that really was a response to the uh, cattle on feed report released on Friday, which uh, uh, the placement number uh, really uh, became uh, an issue there. It was... Uh, much higher than uh, the average uh, guesses, and that uh, plus the fact that the, the cattle were uh, a little bit overbought, uh, throw that into the equation too. And uh, we saw some limit losses, particularly in the uh, feeder cattle, uh, but it was sharply lower all the way around in the cattle market today. Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities, eight hundred three two eight zero one three four. Ag information this hour is brought to you by Aurora Cooperative. With all the buzz. The thought of what if isn't what somebody wants to think about when they're putting together a crisis plan. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska's Natural Resource Districts are holding their annual meeting taking place in Kearney both today and tomorrow. And that what if is in the back of one NRD's mind. Scott Snell is with the Upper Big Blue NRD, and he's a presenter here at the conference this afternoon talking about are you ready for a crisis? His opportunity is to sit down with those in the other NRDs and talk about the what ifs and the what you need to do to help protect you, protect your NRD, and to be able to communicate just right with the media to get the information out that you need delivered. Here's Scott Snell. 
Sure. Um, I, uh, I just got my master's degree from Kent State in Ohio, and um, I did it online, which I was a little bit reticent of because I, I didn't know exactly how that would all work, but it worked out wonderfully. And um, one of the projects that I wanted to try and do is write a crisis communication plan for our natural resources district, and it's the first one in the state. It's actually getting adopted by our board next month, and I'm going to do a presentation on it. And the idea is basically how do you, in a, in a major crisis, be able to communicate with the media because we need to be able to supply the media with information so that they can inform the general public and we want to make sure that we're doing that in the most effective and most moral and ethical way. And it's on so many different things. It isn't just dealing with tragic loss of life. It's mm -hmm. Something that may happen in everyday operation sure, sure. of a of a natural resource district. Sure, you know um, we're out and about. Like I said before, about boots on the ground. So we do have a lot of employees who are traveling. They're they're doing well measurements. They're mon they're looking at monitoring wells. They're taking soil samples, doing different things. And so when you have a great number of employees out and about, unfortunately, there could end up being maybe a death, a traffic accident, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> during tornado season, we want to make sure that all of our employees are are aware and that we're aware where they're at geographically so they can take cover. Heaven forbid if we were to have a tornado come through an area and kill one of our employees or a farmer that was working with one of our employees at the time out in the open. So the, the plan is put in place to try and help uh, with the process of, of making sure that we're disseminating the right information that's factual and, and that's, that's fair. I know it hasn't, you haven't given your presentation as of yet, but what type of reaction have you gotten from, from other NRDs as, as you started to talk about Sure. Well, I know that the Papio, Missouri NRD, uh, they've got a brand new gal on their staff, Jennifer Staus, and she has, in her former life, worked at a PR agency and has written some of these plans, so she wants to get one in, uh, implemented. Um, David Wolf, uh, out at the North Platte NRD in Scotts Bluff, is finishing up his, and so I just think that if, if we can get plans in place in all 23 NRDs, it just helps uh, with, with the general conveyance of, of information, because it's so important in this day and age that we're, we're factual, that we're timely with our information, and um, that we do it in, in the proper fashion when a crisis is happening. Snell says he plans on having his presentation be interactive with a scenario. They're going to have folks representing what would be an NRD, asking and receiving questions from those in the media. Well, the NRD does continue with their annual meeting through tomorrow. A variety of opportunities for folks to hear from guest speakers and a banquet that'll take place to induct the new members of the Nebraska's Natural Resource District's Hall of Fame. Over the noon hour, they also gave out their Nebraska NRD Conservation Award winners and their Master Conservation Award winners. These award winners range from everything from the Tree Planter of the Year to the Outstanding Grassland Conservation Award. In Kearney, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get our closing grain market analysis with John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, also publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So, John, wrapping up the day, soybeans stayed lower all day, really separated themselves from the get-go. Yeah, it was spreading uh, off the jump, really. Wheat, wheat performing, corn doing okay, and then beans really taking, uh, I think, the brunt of the selling. Not exactly sure why, uh, you know, it's aligned in that way. I just think, you know, early harvest yields here uh, are coming in better than than everybody expected they would, and uh, I think that should weigh on soybeans a little more as folks are going to move everything off the combine in most years than in uh, in the corn and the wheat where they'll store it. So short term here, I look for uh, maybe a test down to that 960 level again, but uh, deferred prices are in good shape, and I think, um, you know, there's plenty to, uh, 
20 to work with here on the upside. You still a little positive on the beans, even with a correction today? Long term, I am. I think beans are going to have a fantastic market here as we get through the harvest. It's just there's going to be overage, and you just think, you know, guys waited to sell. They're going to end up coming off the combine here. I mean, I got guys doing 80, 85 bushels an acre in Illinois. We're thinking they may be in the 60s a couple of months back. So, something with the seeds or the crop. I'm not sure uh, what 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 drove it, but uh, there's a lot. I guess unsold this way. Starting to see the basis widen out, and I I expect beans to probably take it on the chin uh, around the harvest period here, while uh, the corn maybe strays a little more sideways as folks are going to put that in the bin and lock it down. Um, If I were a a bean trader here, if you're making sales at these levels, I think 980 is a fine spot to do it, and you want to re-own it. Look at July futures. Uh, They're trading up at 1010 right now. If that would back off sub 980, I think that's where you try to rebuy it, and essentially you're buying your bushels back, and you're just not having to put them in storage. All right, leave you about a minute to talk about the weed market. Impressive move by Minneapolis. Yeah, and it's. I think it's overdue. We're, we're ready for that move. Markets come back. Friday's report is going to be, um, you know, I think a little bearish for beans and corn, but for the wheat side, it could actually start to expose some of the problems we had this summer. Uh, we're going to get. To, we're going to talk acreage for total planted acres. That should be a bullish number regardless. And then it'll, we'll we'll get some quotes on abandonment as well as uh, as as the amount of physical supply we have. And that really is the most important thing you, you got to realize going forward here is, you know, the WASDs are always projecting out and they're using demand, ex, you know formulas and uh, essentially carryover numbers that are what we're trading a year away, whereas the, these grain tax reports really kind of expose if the USDA has been right or not. And, you know, past couple of uh, reports on these grain stocks, we've seen bearish numbers from corn and beans. I think maybe even the USDA was a little low a year back. But on wheat, I think with those abandonment numbers and the yields up in the spring wheat, I think we could get a bullish number for the first time in a while. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. To visit with John, contact Daniels at Daniels Ag Marketing. Dot com. That's our closing grain market analysis. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.